0: This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman.
1: And a very happy weekend to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. Well, it looks like the party is over. The Federal Reserve at its meeting this past week says they're going to start reversing the pandemic stimulus programs that they've launched way back when, when this crisis began. They say they're going to start reversing those programs in November, and they may begin raising interest rates as early as next year. The party is over. It's
0: time to call it a day. They've burst your pretty balloon and taken the moon away.
1: Well, I think that the Fed announcing that they're going to begin raising rates next year is Fed Chair Jay Powell's way of saying he ain't getting reappointed by Joe Biden (laughs) There's nothing that Democrats need less than an increase in interest rates prior to the midterm elections. So, if Jay Powell has any hope of holding on to his job, I think he might want to rethink that move. And if he thinks he's not going to get the renewal in his job, well, then he doesn't really seem to care very much and he'll go ahead and just raise rates. Thank you very much. Bottom line is. The investment world is going to get a little dicier. I've been warning you of this over the past couple of weeks on the program, and it is not a message that you need to run for the hills and sell and bury your head under the mattress along with your cash. That's not my message at all. My message instead is simply to be prepared, be aware that this is coming. If you understand that volatility is the norm, that the stock market doesn't always merely go up, which is pretty much all it's been doing for the past year and a half, that the markets go up and down, as well as up and down and up and down over time, more ups than downs, that's what history tells us. The stock market goes up more often than it goes down, and the degrees of ups are much higher than the downs are down, so it's not an up one, down one, up one down down one, like a yo-yo, that would be kind of silly. Why would anybody invest in something if all it ever did was go up one and down one? What the stock market does, if you look at the historical performance, is it goes up five, down two, up six, down four, up seven, down three. And that's the point. That's how the stock market has continually hit all-time highs year after year after year, despite the fact that during those uh, highs, you then have pullbacks, you have declines. Sometimes outright market crashes, but that doesn't necessarily have to mean that it's an up-one-down-one kind of a scenario. So I need you to be aware of this. I need you to recognize it so that you don't panic, you aren't shocked when you see the stock market incur a pullback. Because pullbacks, however deep they are, however long they last, they're temporary. We get over them. And at least historically, you know the rule, past performance is no guarantee of future results, but history tells us the market is cyclical. That's the business cycle. It's growth, it's expansion, followed by recession and contraction. So we've had one heck of a growth and expansion over the past decade, not just the past year and a half, and inevitably, there's going to be a pullback. Don't be shocked if it occurs. Reconfirm it's consistent with your long-term goals. If you don't need the money that you have invested for the next three to five years or more, you can leave it there even in the event of a market decline. This too shall pass is how the saying goes. But I have to ask you this question. In the context of this, we know why we're investing, right? It's to achieve future financial security in retirement. So I want to ask you a question. In fact, I want to share with you the results of a survey that asked this question. The survey asked people around the country, all of whom had at least $100,000 in investable assets. Now, that's important because this was not a survey of poor people. It didn't even include any. Poor people, people who don't have any money. These are wealthy Americans, people with $100,000 or more in investments. In fact, the average respondent to the survey had almost half a million dollars in investments. So this was a survey asked of affluent Americans. And here's the question, and I want you to answer the question yourself. What will you need in order to retire in financial security? And I'll give you four choices. You'll need A, $300,000, B, $750,000, C, $1.7 million, or D, you'll need a miracle. (laughs) Yeah, those were the four choices this survey asked of people who have $100,000 or more in savings How much money are you going to need to retire in financial security? The number one answer by almost half of those surveyed said, D, I need a miracle. Ah! In fact, 46% of millennials, 45% of Gen Xers, and 30% of baby boomers all said that in order to retire in financial security, they'll need a miracle. That's a little scary. In fact, in the same survey, half of those who have a million dollars or more say they're going to have to work longer than expected. They're not going to be able to retire as young as they had hoped. What is the status of your financial plan? Are you on track to retire at the age you want to retire with the income you want to have to maintain the lifestyle that you desire? A lot of folks are unable to answer that question. They don't know if they're on track because they've never done the calculations. Oh, you've got some savings and investments and you're contributing regularly to those savings and investments, but you haven't bothered to figure out, are you saving enough? Are you saving in the right place? Are you saving for a specific goal, and do you know what the goal is? For example, retirement by a certain age with a certain income. Most Americans haven't even bothered to obtain a financial plan, and many of those who have attained a financial plan haven't updated it lately, or they haven't kept an eye on it to see if they're on track to fulfill the goals outlined by that financial plan. So is it any wonder that in a new survey of retirement security on a global basis, The United States has ranked, out of 44 countries, number 17. Oh, come on! Yeah, the United States, even though we're the most affluent country in the world, even though we are the number one economic power in the world, we rank number 17. And that suggests that as individuals, we're messing this up. The country's doing fine, thank you very much, with the largest GDP on the planet. But individually, our personal GDP ain't so hot. So what I would encourage you is to figure out what your plan is and make sure that you are managing your plan correctly. And that raises a really interesting notion. Because if you don't have a plan, if you don't know why you're investing, if you're not prepared for the possibility of a market decline... How will you respond if that market does decline? You might panic. You might say, oh my goodness, I don't know how much money I've got. I don't know if what I have is sufficient. I'd better protect it. And therefore, you're inclined to sell in a market decline. 74% of Americans say that they will sell their investments in the stock market if the market incurs a moderate decline. I'm not talking about a major crash, a moderate decline. Three out of four say they will sell. Well, what happens if 75% of Americans sell in a moderate decline? Imagine what would happen to stock prices. You need to be aware of the kinds of reactions other people will have so that you don't get caught up in that frenzy. And we're seeing some bizarre behavior. If that is bizarre behavior yet to come, we're already seeing other bizarre behavior already in place. There is an incredible amount of options trading going on right now. In fact, 9 of the 10 most active trading days for call options in history have occurred so far this year. 39 million contracts trading every day, the highest level since this market was invented in 1973. It's up 31% from last year. So far this month alone... $7 trillion worth of stock value have been traded in options. It's the first time that the value of options trading, changing hands, is more than stocks themselves. Something weird is going on. And in fact, something else weird is going on. And I'm going to tell you what that is. When we return here on The Rick Edelman Show, you need to know what's happening in the marketplace right now so that you don't freak out when new developments occur. And I'm going to take you through it step by step. So stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK is our phone number. Or visit us online at ricedelman.com.
0: author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
1: To the Rick Edelman Show. We're talking about some of the wackiness that's going on in the marketplace right now. Part of it, investor sentiment. Part of it is just increasing weakness in the marketplace. And some of it, are some bizarre behaviors that we're beginning to see. Do you remember CMOs? Collateralized Mortgage Obligations. These were the bad boys that led to the credit crisis of 2008. Remember Ninja Loans? No income, no job or assets. People were able to get mortgages on houses that they couldn't afford to repay. They didn't need any income to qualify for the mortgage. They didn't need to demonstrate that they had a job, and they didn't need to have any assets either. Millions of people were able to buy houses in the early 2000s all the way up to 2007 with ninja loans. Well, why would a lender do that with such an incredibly high risk? Because the lender wasn't taking the risk. The lender would sell you the loan, make money on the sale of the loan, then take your loan, package it with other Ninja loans, and then sell those packages to Wall Street. Investors bought them because of the interest they were earning, supposedly, from those loan payments. Well, we all know what happened. The investors got stuck holding the bag. The homeowners couldn't make their mortgage payments. They defaulted on their loans. With the loans defaulted, the CMOs became worthless, the investors who bought the CMOs lost all their money, and, well, that was the 2008 credit crisis. Well, those ninja loans are gone. That was part of the regulatory repair that the government made and that the marketplace adapted to, so those problems no longer exist so that we don't have a repeat of 2008 regarding homes, but ninja loans are still here. In fact... You can now find them in the version of buy now, pay later deals. You know, you can buy now, pay later on just about anything. You want to buy televisions, furniture, even a Peloton stationary bicycle? You can buy now and pay later. Those Peloton bikes cost $1,500. By the time you add in all the accessories, we're talking three grand. And Peloton will sell you those bikes on a buy-now-pay-later deal, a loan for one year up to four years. What does Peloton do? I mean, they're in the business of making and selling bikes, not in the financial business. So Peloton packages those loans and sells the package to Wall Street, who then sells them to investors. Just like the CMOs of 2008. Peloton so far has done six deals totaling $2.2 billion. Three of those deals involve loans that are unsecured and pay zero interest. Nearly a billion dollars worth of that stuff. Who's buying it? You better hope that you're not. You better hope that the mutual fund or ETF you bought isn't buying it. This is an illustration of the kind of wacky products that are existing in a market that is becoming superheated. And here's something else that is kind of crazy to consider. Do you know what an ETF is? An exchange-traded fund? Let me ask you a second question. Do you know what a digital asset is, like Bitcoin? Here are the wacky results of a recent survey, Americans Report- that they are more familiar with Bitcoin than they are with ETFs. 32% say they know what an ETF is. 39% say they're familiar with Bitcoin. There's something wrong here. I mean, I'm a big fan of Bitcoin and digital assets and blockchain, you know that, we talk about it often here on the program, but for Americans to know more about Bitcoin than they do about exchange-traded funds, one of the most fundamentally solid types of investment structures available in the marketplace, there's something wrong here. But wait a minute, why might it be that so many more Americans are familiar with Bitcoin than they are with ETFs? Well, when's the last time you saw an ETF advertised on television? That's kind of the point, isn't it? You see, the world of digital assets is growing up. It's mainstreaming. And we're beginning to see a lot of advertising by companies in the crypto space. And they're advertising to a more common, greater degree than we are seeing by the ETF industry even though the ETF industry is much bigger. Sports fans, in fact, say they're twice as likely as non-fans to say that they're familiar with Bitcoin and digital assets. In fact, they're three times more likely to say they're very familiar. Why sports fans? Because that's where the digital asset world is advertising. FTX has their logo on the umpire uniforms in Major League Baseball. Crypto.com is sponsoring the UFC and Formula One. We're talking a $40 million deal. Crypto.com is also sponsoring the NHL's Montreal Canadiens. FTX is a sponsor of the National Basketball Association's Miami Heat. StormX is a sponsor of the Portland Trailblazers. XBTO is sponsoring Major League Soccer's Inter-Miami team. And Algorand has just done a $100 million deal with the Drone Racing League. That's not all. You've got individual players that are getting behind this. FTX has global ambassadors Stephen Curry. He's a guard for the Golden State Warriors. And Tom Brady, the famous quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Blockfolio has secured as Global Ambassador Trevor Lawrence. He's the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. No wonder sports fans know far more about Bitcoin than the average American. So what do you do? If you're an ETF promoter, if you're a mutual fund company who offers ETFs, what do you do in the face of all of this competitive threat? Well, one of the biggest ETF players, Invesco is now rolling out ETFs backed by Bitcoin and other digital assets. They're partnering with Galaxy Digital. Further demonstration of the mainstreaming of both ETFs and digital assets. So, we're seeing the two worlds come together. And just to give you an illustration of how this new mainstreaming is sometimes leading to a bit of silliness, just as Peloton selling a ninja loan is becoming silly, well, we've got now news that a hamster is trading crypto. Well, you say we try that one again, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Since June, somebody has taken a hamster and adopted the wheel that the hamster runs on The wheel, the way the hamster does it, determines which digital asset gets bought and whether it is actually a buy or a sell. The decision that the hamster makes is sent to a real trading platform. Real money is being used. How did the hamster do? Well, since June, the hamster's account is up 20%. That's better than Bitcoin That's better than the NASDAQ 100. It's better than Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaways. And it's better than the S&P 500. So it looks like all you got to do to make a lot of money is hire a hamster. Well, maybe that's not (laughs) exactly correct. So we're going to talk about the craziness that's going on in the world of digital assets from one of the biggest players in it. Michael Saylor of MicroStrategy is going to share with us why he's such a big believer of Bitcoin and the bet that he's taking with his multi-billion dollar company. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. Every week, I like to bring you the latest and greatest in the field of exponential technologies. We've heard of robots uh, being developed all over the place. Well, now there's Cassie, a bipedal robot, meaning a robot with two feet, Cassie just ran a 5K in under an hour. She's made by Agility Robotics. It's basically a mechanical set of legs with a battery pack on top, and it's going to be hard for humans to eventually keep up with our robots in a race. Meanwhile, there's a problem in the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. It's a desert out there, and it is hot. They just hit a record high this summer of 125 degrees. There's not a lot of rain, even though there are a lot of clouds. So what is the UAE doing? Cloud seeding, releasing silver iodide into clouds. It does make it rain, but environmental fears persist. So they've developed a new technology. Six-foot-wide drones that fly at low altitudes. Sensors measure the temperature and humidity. And a charge emitter delivers electric charges into the clouds causing it to rain. Since they started using these drones, it's environmentally friendly, and it is raining more, but they can't prove that it's because of the drones. Stay tuned for more here on The Rick Edelman Show, when we return, Michael Saylor of MicroStrategy. 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com.
0: information on what you need to do now go to rickadelman.com that's rickadelman.com
1: of the rick edelman show i'm glad you're joining me right now for this segment because i'm happy to bring on to the program michael sailor he's chairman and ceo of microstrategy michael has a graduate of mit degree in aeronautics and astronautics as well as science technology and society michael thanks so much for joining me on the program today yeah thanks for having me Rick. so before we get into the conversation at hand which is bitcoin give us a quick description of what the business of microstrategy is what do you folks do
2: We sell enterprise software for business intelligence everywhere in the world to large enterprises. So our customers are from agencies and and corporations and banks, and they build custom applications to analyze their data.
1: What are the annual revenues of the business?
2: $500 million.
1: So it's a pretty big enterprise, and you've been running this company for more than 20 years, right?
2: Yeah, we came public in 98, so public company for 22 years or so.
1: So MicroStrategy, a very substantial business in the business intelligence software community on a global basis, you've gotten new levels of attention in the media over the past year because you've decided to take some of the cash reserves that you have at MicroStrategy and place it into Bitcoin. Tell us why.
2: A year ago, we had a $500 million enterprise software business growing 0% a year, and we had. a $500 million treasury generating 0% yield. And we were looking out, you know, in March of 2020, and we're thinking, it's going to be a really difficult business environment. It's very uncertain. And it's highly likely that that $500 million treasury is not going to generate any more than 0%. Remember, the Fed said we're not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. And so our stock was kind of in the tank. Our stock, you know, went to almost like $90 a share. It was $120 a share. And we had like $60 a share in cash. So the company was, you know, was valued at 60 bucks, and the cash was valued at $60. And, and when I talked to the investors, they said, well, we don't really value the cash, right? I mean, cash is a liability on your balance sheet, especially in the modern era. So we figured we either need to give the cash back to the shareholders or we needed to invest it in something. So we split the difference and we, we did a little bit of both. We bought back our stock and we bought Bitcoin. And when the dust settled, we ended up with $5 billion worth of Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's been going up more than 100% a year for the past decade. And uh, that success really energized our brand and our employees and our customers. And now our core business is growing 10%. So our $500 million P&L is growing 10%. Our $5 billion balance sheet's growing. it grew more than 100%. And uh, we feel like we're just much better situated for whatever is to come after having made that strategic move.
1: So not only do you have $5 billion worth of Bitcoin, not only did you take some of your cash reserves and place it into Bitcoin, you went out and borrowed money in order to buy more of Bitcoin. Talk about that.
2: Well if you look at the macroeconomic environment on one hand, you know, you have the Case-Shiller index which today says the average home price is up 19.7% year over year. So you have the money supply expanding and then you have the bond yields really low. And so our view is you should go long high quality assets and you should go short the dollar. So in essence we went and we borrowed money, we were able to borrow uh, $650 million at 75 basis points. And then we borrowed $1,050,000,000 at 0% interest. And then we borrowed another $500,000,000 of uh, senior secure notes at 6% and an 8% interest. So all told, we borrowed $2.2 2 billion at a blended interest rate of like one 1.5% interest. And then the only question is, do you have a use of proceeds? But Bitcoin's been going up 130% a year for a decade. So what could be a better use of proceeds than a non-sovereign, digital, scarce store of value on the dominant digital monetary network? So that's, that's the trade we did, you know? But why wouldn't you borrow money at 0% interest if someone wanted to loan it to you if you had a good idea for a business? So, okay,
1: I get it. The interest rates are 0.0, point nothing, and there's a lot of money sitting in cash, not earning anything. It's getting actually eroded due to inflation. So you want to put the money elsewhere. Of the entire universe of investment opportunities, you chose Bitcoin. Why Bitcoin, as opposed to something else?
2: Well, we wanted, we wanted something that's not a fiat uh, currency derivative. So if you're investing in a value stock, and if the, if the value stock's valued based on cash flows, and if the cash flows are being debased at 15% a year, then by the time you go out a decade you know, and you apply a 15% discount rate, the cash flows aren't really worth that much. So I didn't want to hold stocks that were based on cash flows. And, you know, and could I buy a bunch of uh, real estate? It's not easy to buy a portfolio of real estate. But if if they're commercial real estate, those are fiat derivatives because commercial real estate is valued based on rents, which are also capped at CPI. So I couldn't hold value stocks. I couldn't hold commercial real estate. Can I buy trophy assets? Well, I don't know. Where do I find a trophy asset? Art's? Art's kind of a $500 million portfolio of trophy art. I don't know, complicated gold. Ultimately, we boiled it down to we're either really going to buy $500 million worth of gold or we're going to buy $500 million worth of crypto. And uh, when we compared gold to crypto, we concluded that crypto was digital gold. It's a million times faster, smarter, stronger, and harder. And then we looked at crypto, we sorted through all 6,000 cryptos and the obvious answer is Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is engineered to be a non-sovereign, digitally scarce, safe haven asset. That's, that's the code, the protocol, the ethos, 150 million people have bought into that. And after 10,000 attacks, it's the last asset standing. So we bought we bought the thing we thought was best engineered to be a non-currency derivative asset in an environment where we expected the currency to be continually debased.
1: So let me ask you two questions. It's kind of one question wrapped in together. Um, first of all, is this something – I mean, you're a smart guy. I mean, you've been running MicroStrategy for – 20-plus years, publicly traded uh, company for 22. You're the CEO of the firm and chairman of its board, graduate of MIT. Your business is business intelligence software. So you're a very smart guy, and you're surrounded by very smart people. And I get the the decision-making you've made and the basis and the, the way in which you made that decision. But is this something for folks like you to be dealing with or is this something that ordinary investors the kind of people who are listening to us right now on this radio show is this something for them to contemplate and how do you address the volatility question that bitcoin is surrounded with
2: how you diversify your portfolio or allocate your portfolio is probably a matter of personal preference if you're an individual and
1: that's Michael Saylor, the chairman and CEO of MicroStrategy, publicly traded stock. The symbol is MSTR, here on The Rick Edelman Show. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rick. Well, I wanted to bring Michael on the show for you because, well, you know, it, the, the subject of digital assets isn't entirely about hamsters. (laughs) If you missed the segment earlier in the show, we talked about how somebody is using a hamster to determine whether or not they should be buying or selling Bitcoin and other digital assets. Well, this is no laughing matter. Michael Saylor has put $5 billion of his company's cash reserves into Bitcoin. He's got a pretty strong opinion about this. Is this something that I would recommend that you ought to do? Well, let me give you my take on this, which is reflective of the view we have here at Edelman Financial Engines. There is no question that digital assets is a separate independent asset class. There is no question that it is an emerging asset class, and emerging is code for risky Anything that is new and emerging is relatively untested, unproven, uncertain. And although it's looking good and the opportunities seem to be there and the future looks bright, well, we've seen Bitcoin's performance over the past decade five crashes so far, and it's pretty much widely expected that crash number six is at some point in somebody's future. So we need to keep all of this in check. Yes, riskier assets clearly have the opportunity for higher returns. That's the whole investment thesis, isn't it, on Wall Street? Risk and return tend to go together. High risk give you high potential of returns, but also high potential for losses. So what's the approach that we recommend? Well, number one, don't invest until you have education. Make sure you know what it is you're doing. Number two, limit your investment to 1% of your portfolio. If it's 1% and it blows up, eh, so what? That's not going to destroy your future retirement security. But if it goes well, as Michael is hoping that it will do for his company and has it historically has done, a 1% exposure can have a meaningful impact on your total portfolio return. Number three, prepare for volatility, because that, to date, has been Bitcoin's experience. And number four, don't be surprised if it becomes worthless. If you're willing to go through those four steps, then you might want to talk with your financial advisor about whether digital assets are right for you. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742 or visit us at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com.
0: with the author of the New York Times bestseller, Discover the Wealth Within You, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
1: Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. You know, we've been talking about the dynamic environment we have in the world of investing today. And the different investment opportunities that exist, never before has the need for you to work with a financial advisor been greater. I think that point was well made in our conversation with Michael Saylor a few minutes ago uh, about these wacky new investment opportunities. When I say wacky, I mean newfangled, never before encountered that are now available in the marketplace today and new volatility in the stock market uh, and so on. So you need to hire a financial advisor. That's a given. Check that box. But there's a financial advisor. And then there's a financial advisor. What's the difference between the two? A single word, fiduciary. Is your financial advisor a fiduciary or not? Fiduciary means, by law, your advisor is required to serve your best interests. They cannot give you a recommendation that doesn't serve you ahead of them. There are three kinds of advisors out there, stockbrokers, insurance agents, and registered investment advisors, RIAs. Stockbrokers are not required to adhere to the fiduciary status. Insurance agents are not required to adhere to the fiduciary status. Only RIAs, registered investment advisors, licensed under the SEC or their state regulator, are required. To adhere to the fiduciary status. Of course, registration with the SEC doesn't imply any particular level of skill or knowledge. There have been efforts by the government to make all advisors everywhere follow the fiduciary status. This goes all the way back to the Obama administration. The rules that have been proposed by the Department of Labor have been attacked in law, have been attacked in the courts. Courts have rejected the regulations, new rules have been written. There have been delays issued because of industry response and resistance. Now, the fiduciary rule is supposed to take effect on December 20. So, it's only two months away. You would think that finally, all financial advisors dealing with retirement accounts, everywhere, whether they're a broker, an agent, or an advisor, are all going to adhere to the fiduciary status. Well, Not so fast. A letter was just written to the Department of Labor. The letter is asking for a delay of a year for the implementation of the fiduciary rule. Who wrote the letter? It was signed by the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Insured Retirement Institute, the Investment Company Institute, the American Securities Association, the Institute for Portfolio Alternatives, the National Association of Independent Life Brokerage Agencies, the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors. They all submitted the letter and signed it to the Department of Labor saying there is uncertainty about how the fiduciary rule might be exempted and how it could require further guidance or rulemaking regarding the definition of fiduciary. The letter said, and I quote, firms are very hesitant to accept fiduciary status. You can't be
0: serious, man. You cannot be serious.
1: We have to recognize that the fiduciary obligation will radically alter not just the advice that many in the financial services industry provide you it will alter the products that they're allowed to sell to you there are certain investments and insurance products that clearly don't meet the fiduciary standard products that are very profitable for the industry to sell. They pay the agents and brokers very high commissions compared to alternative opportunities. They provide advantages, features, and benefits that are not as good as what you can attain elsewhere. And at the moment, there's no obligation for them to deal with that. The fiduciary rule would change the landscape. So, if this delay is granted... It means you continue to be on your own. Make sure your advisor is a fiduciary. And oh, by the way, in case you're wondering, yes, all the advisors at Edelman Financial Engines are fiduciaries. Let us know if we can help you. 888-PLAN-RICK. Visit us online at ricedelman.com. And time now for everybody's favorite segment, a visit by my wife, Jean Edelman co-founder here at Edelman Financial Engines, a degree in consumer economics and nutrition, an expert in macrobiotic cooking. Here's Jean. Hello, it's so good to be with you today. Happy
3: October. Don't know where the year is going. Time just seems to be flying by. It makes me think of a word, age. A-G-E, three small letters, yet they can be so potent. We get stuck about our age. We get stuck in our decades. We we feel like we have to be certain ways because we're certain ages. I would like to change. I'd like to start a revolution and get rid of this word. I think it's negative. I think we need to just feel good, and be in our decade, wherever we are, and be living the best we can. Maybe call it our evolution, but not the three-letter word age. I think it's about moving on in our life with grace. It's about having health. It's about movement, eating good food, healthy food. I was chatting with someone the other day, and she was sharing that Her husband enjoys acupuncture and I was saying, I love acupuncture because it helps move the stagnation from our body because our life gets stuck in our body. And if we're not moving or acupuncture or acupressure or massage or or yoga or Tai Chi, if we're not moving our life out of our body, we are going to have dis-ease. And that's what it is. It's our emotions, our years on this earth get stuck in this physical being and then we feel the aches and the pains and that's not the point. The point is to move on gracefully. My mom's 85 and she still plays tennis and is looking forward to learning pickleball as soon as her community has the, the courts put in. I mean, that's what it's all about. Get rid of this number and just have great self-care. So I just want to give meaning to these three little letters. A, the negative part of it is that we anchor. We shouldn't anchor into where we are, what decade this is. And we shouldn't have angst about you know, where we're going and having more evolutions on this planet and in this body. We need to look forward to it. Think about all the things that we've learned and the wisdom we have gained. That's what it's all about. G is for gratitude. Having gratitude for each day helps us live each day to the best of us, the best that we can be. And E is for eternal. We are eternal. Some piece of us, some remembrance of us will always live on somewhere. And so we shouldn't fear it. We shouldn't fear as the decades move on. It is a fact death and taxes. We have to pay taxes, and at some point, this body will expire, and we will take our last breath here. And we should have the greatest smile on our face because it is a life well lived. And we had many, many grateful, grateful days in this life and wonderful people to love and be around. And so that's what it's about. Don't get stuck with this three-letter word of age. Just be full of life. Go learn new things and enjoy the day. Enjoy this fall. Enjoy the change of season. Enjoy the cooler weather. Enjoy taking care of you. Have a great week, everybody.
1: That was Gene Edelman here on The Rick Edelman Show. And as always, thanks for joining us on the program today. Remember, our full podcast has even more, including the latest on inflation, what you can personally do about it, and of course, more of your phone calls. So listen to this week's podcast at rickedelman.com. See you next week.
0: The Truth About Money, every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show.